From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. Lies, lies, and more lies. The gun control movement relies on lies as a means of advancing their agenda. They lie about gun-free zones. They lie about the racist roots of gun control. They lie about gun control laws saving lives. And their lies are so big and so frequent, unfortunately, some people actually believe them. Mark Twain once said, a lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is still putting on its shoes. And that's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by Rob Morse, author of the Slow Facts blog and co-host of the Polite Society podcast. Hi, Rob. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me back, Dean. So, Rob, I'm glad you're here, but it's been a while I think it was in January when we talked last, and here we are almost halfway through the year. Time is moving way, way too fast. What have you been up to? Um, My health is back. I'm traveling. I'm writing. And lately, I've been training and writing about that. Well, I've been reading some of your writing. You have an excellent blog, and I've noticed you've been writing a lot of articles that I would frame under the headline of lies about how people lie about a lot of different things. And there were a few articles that I wanted to focus on in this podcast. And one of them was the idea of gun-free zones or what we often call victim zones. You know, we, we see these signs or stickers at the entrance of some stores, restaurants, theaters, other places They usually have one of those Ghostbusters, you know, the sign with the line, (laughs) you know, through the gun. And it'll read something like no guns allowed or something similar. But, But, Rob, I'm confused. A violent criminal isn't going to obey a sign like that. A law abiding person probably will. So, doesn't that just make gun free zones places where bad guys may be the only people with guns? I mean, I would consider that a lie, Rob, and a dangerous one, because gun-free zones are not really gun-free after all, are they? If if we had, I want 100 million more people to listen to your podcast, I'll settle for 10. Can we compromise? Um, Because you've hit the nail right on the head. There are a lot of us who think that words on paper, maybe even words on a website, this mall is a weapons-free zone. Well, what that did was protect the mall owner from being sued. Now, anybody can sue, but it'll protect him in court. We said you couldn't bring a gun here, so we're harmless. But you're absolutely right. It disarmed the victims, not the perpetrator. And going through the details, well, if everybody was paying as much attention as you and your listeners, it'd be a different world. So what's the idea? I mean, what's the idea behind gun-free zones? I mean, I don't think that, say, you know, a store owner really wants only 
bad guys to have guns in the store. There's something else behind it. What's the whole idea behind this so-called gun-free zone that starts with a sticker on the door? Sometimes it's um, an insurance issue. Sometimes there's a, a in places like New York City, there's some political muscle being applied. Nice window you have there. Too bad it doesn't have the sticker on it. Um, but but realistically, it's often a corporate risk management uh, official who says, "I think our uh, liability lawyer said." We'll dodge more lawsuits if you put this sign in our window. Is it, is it actually reduce, reduce the risk in the store? No. So isn't that, isn't that perverse? A plastic sign makes it more likely that good guys will get shot, but less likely that store owners will get sued. And do you think that's really what's behind it? Let me, I mean, let me just jump oh, ahead. Yeah, I really do. Let me just jump ahead. Sure. Because... It seems to me, and I, and I know that there's the cynical part of it, you know, the, the lawyers and the politicians, but the Ghostbuster sign to me seems like a form of magical thinking for a lot of people. Oh, yes. Where people have, you know, this idea of, you know, thoughts, words, emotions, ritual behaviors that influence the world around them. Like, if I carry this rabbit's foot, I'll have good luck. If I ignore my symptoms, my health will be fine. If I post a sign on my door, everything inside will be safe. That's magical thinking, Rob. You're, uh, it is. I mean, we've seen mass murderers go to theaters that were called gun-free. They drove past other theaters where, they, where there were no signs, and they said, oops, someone might be armed in there. We've been attacked at county fairs that were called gun-free. Airports. Bars and restaurants that were called gun-free, churches, and, and in fact, if you look at it, mass murderers feel like a failure. They don't want to fail when they go to kill. They're not interested in, to, in a gunfight at the NRA convention. They want a bunch of unarmed victims, and they look for them. Effect, um, now, this is, this, see if you catch this. You're, you're a sharp guy with numbers. 98% of the time when mass murderers attack us, they do it in a gun-free zone. 99% of the attacks aren't in gun-free zones or, or, or aren't where we can carry. The, the magic there is when they attack us where we can carry, we stop half of the attacks. Of that 2% where they try, we erase it. We erase, we stop 1%. And what can I say? Mass murderers aren't that smart. Well, they should never go where citizens are armed. Are, 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 I mean, I wonder because I've read, uh, you know, these stories, these so-called mass murder stories, very often if uh, the reports are good and detailed, they will sometimes indicate how much research that the murderer did in advance. So I'm wondering, like recently in Texas, this shopping mall, murderer, you know, where he shot up a gun-free zone, wasn't that part of the strategy where they oh. did, they did research. They looked, well, I could go here. I could go here. I could go, oh, wait, this is, this is a gun-free zone. That's better for me. The, um, I think it was the secret service who did a pretty extensive study on mass murderers. And there are a number of stages they go through. 
the fantasy stage, the planning stage, right at the end, they're going to start to brag about it to other people. Thank God. Because we do that about nine times out of 10, and often we're able to stop them. But they love the planning stage. They're feeling the power of the revenge that they're going to get later. And sometimes they'll drag that on for years. As one um, investigator said, this guy did a PhD in murder. Rob, you know, thinking about no gun signs and, you know, magical thinking, why not have no terrorist signs at airports? <laughs> I mean, exactly. If you're, if you're a leader in a city, why not just put a no crime sign at the entrance to every city? Yes. Your problems are solved. Rob, now that I'm thinking about it, I could put up a no weed sign in my yard and never yes. have to work in my lawn ever again. Seriously. Uh, you and I could make a grass sign and we can stop mowing. You and I could make a fortune on this idea. I mean, I like why, like why, is, why is no one ever thought of this before, Rob? Um, okay, that's a little bit of a different question. And our, our colleague, Dan Wass, took a pretty good bite out of that apple studying it. He said a lot of us haven't been attacked. Look, you and I have been in the classes where you go, why are you here? Oh, I want my carry permit. And some woman goes, I was attacked. Somebody broke into my house. It may have been an ex. I want to defend myself. She's not involved. She's committed. And if a lot of our experience of the world is through our little screen where we can turn off the scary movie at any time, on the other hand, where we're frightened nightly by reports of bad guys using guns, we think that slice of reality given to us by the media is representative of everything. And they go, well, wait a minute. I could just change the channel so there are no guns. Wouldn't that make us all safer? People are becoming disassociated from their neighbors and real problems. You're exactly right. So that's one kind of lie. But what about, and this one's a really nasty one, and this is one that I think gets a lot of us upset when we hear it, but this lie of the racist gun owner. Right. I can't even count all the times I've heard someone make the argument that the NRA or the BFA or all gun owners are racist because the only reason they have guns is their fear of black and brown people. Rob, that is horribly <laughs> insulting. And I think it's a horrible lie. I mean, it's upside down, isn't it? it you, wrote a, you wrote an article about this about how it's gun control that has racist roots. This came up most recently after the uh, groundbreaking, earth-shattering U.S. Supreme Court, de court decision, uh, New York v. Bruin, um, where the Supreme Court said, no, you, this is a right. You have to issue permits. The, if one of your laws touches on the Second Amendment, and infringes, then you have to show that it's part of a, a longstanding tradition. Otherwise, it's unconstitutional. So now we've seen lawyers in all of these Democrat-controlled states go back to the Jim Crow era and say, see this law that we used to disarm blacks, disarm Catholics, disarm other immigrants? See, that's a longstanding tradition. Oh, by the way, uh, during Reconstruction, we made laws that 
only military-grade weapons could be purchased because recently freed blacks didn't didn't have enough money for inexpensive firearms. If the KKK is on your lawn, you'll shoot them with a musket. Oh, no, it's got to be a modern military rifle. So our history of racism goes way back. Gun control was bent to serve that purpose then. I'm offended that it's being resurrected now. Well, yeah, I mean, if you want to control something, you make it more expensive. Like, for example, a poll tax. We've all read about that in history. Where the whole point of the poll tax was to prevent poor blacks from voting after the Civil War. Look back at the 60s and 70s. When we saw politicians wanting to ban cheap handguns, they referred to them as Saturday night specials because they were afraid that that's what poor residents were more likely to use for crime. Of course, Rob, you and I know that those those cheap handguns may also have been what law-abiding poor people could use because that's what they could afford to defend themselves with. I want to underline that a different way. You're exactly right. You and I have heard it over and over. A researcher did a study and he found that more guns led to more gun violence. What he just said in disguise is poor people that have poor uh, job prospects will go earn money illegally if they can't do it legally. Oh, guess what? That means the poor people in town need to arm themselves to defend themselves from the criminals. Yes, they do. Don't make it against the law. You're hurting the good guys. And this persists today, you know, purchasing or carry licensing, owner permits, liability insurance, taxing ammunition, which keeps coming up more often than I would expect. Aren't these modern gun control proposals just the same racist ideas in a 21st century world? This one will shock you. So, and I think it was New York City. This couple had a business they're carrying cash. They say, look, we need a permit. People all around us are getting robbed. It's just a matter of time till it's us. And they give the, the male in the couple a permit. Then they tell the woman, no, we denied your permit because you didn't explain why you need to defend yourself since your husband now has this permit and he can do that for you. And I think my eyes got big and hopefully every woke feminist on the planet said, excuse me, say what? But it's sexism. It's bigotry. Wow. Yeah, you're right on. And it's, and that happened last year, right in the, in the fall. Well, sometimes we do get a peek behind the curtain, don't we? Wow. It's not pretty. It's, you know, I've often, I've often Rob thought of, you know, a lot of this is projection. You know, they, yes. they talk about us as if we're racist when they don't understand how welcoming the, the gun world is to pretty much everybody. They talk about, you know, like just what you were saying about sexism. That's, that's not the case. You know, there are, women are one of the leading buyers of firearms now. It's, it's part of the big boom in buying over the last few years. It, they've got it exactly opposite. And I wonder if some of that's just projection. They're looking to us and seeing themselves. Well, what, what, was the, what was the clever comment? It wasn't, well, 
somebody asked a bunch of New York City media types, they go, do you know anybody that's got a pickup truck? And they kind of remember a lot of them don't drive. And then they go, uh, no. And I'm going, I'll bet you won't know someone that owns a gun, but you don't know it. And I think it was Tom Gresham, some media executive he's talking to. And the guy goes, Tom, I like to shoot, but I don't think anybody else does. I don't know that we should talk about that. I don't know that people are interested. And he goes, oh, they're interested. They're just not telling you. Your buddies have firearms at home. I know. I speak to them. So it is a hidden secret in a lot of cultures. You're in Ohio. I'm down here in Louisiana. Those are different gun cultures than, let's say, Santa Monica or Manhattan. But I would bet if we were to go to New York and start talking to New Yorkers, just, you know, not on a political level, just personally, I'll bet there are a lot more guns in that city than people are willing to admit. Among among legal gun owners, and I'm not just talking about Oh, yeah, no, I'm not talking about the criminals. Their shooting ranges are very busy. Amen. Um, Our friend Anthony Calandro. Yeah, there's a lot of firearms. Let's face it. We talk about it as a human right. I think it's written on the human heart to protect those you love. That's true everywhere. What do you think about, because we've been talking about, you know, making things more expensive, and and it almost sounds like not just a racist thing, but a classist thing as well. What do you think about folks like billionaire Michael Bloomberg, you know, putting millions of dollars into gun control because, you know, he thinks guns are bad, but he walks around with armed guards everywhere he goes. In other words, my gun's good, your gun's bad, rich people good, poor people bad. Isn't that kind of like one of the biggest lies of all, the lie of hypocrisy? Well, that depends because I've, I've actually, let's turn that around, Dean. I bet you've argued with anti-gun politicians, with anti-gun lawyers, anti-gun activists. And they say, we just want to keep people safe. And you go, you know, I've noticed the guy who funds you to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars a year. He thinks guns save lives. I don't. I understand he's telling us that he wants them for him, but Mr. Bloomberg and his family never go anywhere without an armed escort. From their many homes to their private jets, there's always a gun protecting them every hour of every day. So I believe what Mr. Bloomberg does, not so much what he pays you to say. Yeah. People's actions always speak louder than their words. As somebody who spent about 30 years in marketing, I know that very well. Rob, you've just made my transition for me because this third bucket of lies that I wanted to talk about is this lie of gun control saving lives. In other words, more gun control equals more lives saved. Now, you know, when we look at the world of gun control and the people supporting it, They don't fully enforce current gun laws, but they ask for more laws. They'll let criminals out of prison, refuse to fully prosecute violent offenders, recently even want to defund police, but they want more laws to impact those of us who are not committing crime. What do you think about that? Well, okay, that doesn't happen everywhere. We see it most acutely in our failed blue states, our failed 
blue cities. I think they are desperate to find a scapegoat. Gun control fails. Well, we can we can count it. There are about a quarter million violent crimes with a firearm a year. You and I know that to, there, there are some states you can't hardly turn around without breaking a gun control law. There were millions of times that gun control laws were violated by criminals. And yet you and I also know that there are millions of times, about, what was it, 2.8 million times now, that honest citizens like you and I use a gun to stop violent crime. So the part that breaks my heart is we can look and we can go, look, if we disarmed those 2.8 million people, we'd have hundreds of thousands of more sexual assaults because we disarmed the armed victim. It, it, it's sometimes talking about this is hard on your heart. And all I can think is, yes, but look at all the lives guns saved. Thank goodness. We would more than triple the murder rate in this country if gun control had its way and all the victims, those 2.8 million, were disarmed. You know, Rob, that's that's really interesting because I don't recall ever seeing a study. You know, most of the most of the studies about gun control laws, they talk about the cost of having guns. I don't recall a study that shows the cost of not having guns, right? I mean, that this is sort of yes. economics 101. There's no free lunch. In other words, everything has a cost. Whatever you do costs something. Have you ever seen a study like that? Other than I've done myself? No, sir. I haven't seen. Um, can, can I pitch my website, Dean? Sure. Yeah, those numbers are out there. You can find them at slowfacts.wordpress.com. It's not very hard. We've now, the great news is in the last few years, we have better numbers than we've ever had by orders of magnitude. We're through online interviews, we're able to take much bigger pieces of data all across the country. We ask gun owners, hey, did you ever defend yourself? I think 30% said that during their lifetime, they used a gun to stop a violent encounter. Now, we have to be careful there. Some of that might have been a dog ran up to me when I was gardening and I thought I was going to shoot it. And the dog owner, you know, it's, it's not all person on person. Some, some of it's uh, four-legged or, or two-legged, um, but just the magnitude of it. Yeah. We know, now this is the tricky part, 1.7 million of us defend ourselves about every year. Those are the gun owners. What about the person living in the apartment who wasn't a gun owner who defended themselves? That survey question was never asked. That's how it, the number comes up closer to 2.5 to 2.7. Yeah, and, and notice that you and I are talking about crime. Uh, the, the people on the gun control side, I don't really hear them talking about crime. They say they're concerned about crime, but what they talk about all the time is guns. So they talk about gun crime, for example. They don't talk about the murder rate. I've read endless articles, endless comments on articles where people have this impression that the United States is the most dangerous country in the world. Now, I've looked this up, and... If you look at murder rates, because in my view, dead is dead, 
Right. I mean, it doesn't say on the gravestone, well, it's, it was, a, you know, he's dead, but, you know, it was a knife, so that's okay. Right. Right. They talk about gun crime, not murder rate. If you look at murder rates in countries around the world, the United States is more or less in the middle. We're not, like, at the top. Well, why is it that, that people lie about that, that they're concerned about the guns and not actually about the crime itself? It's easy to shock us. Well, remember the people talking to us, Dean, are out to sell soap. The, the worst thing we can do is go, oh, yeah, that's true, but it's not very compelling. Let's see what's on the next channel. And we click on and, and we're gone. So they have to outrage us enough that we'll endure, what is it, 20 minutes of commercials an hour? I, you used to be in marketing. You know. Well, it's more now, I mean, because honestly, I'll watch... I don't watch a lot of TV these days, but if I have a favorite show, I can't believe it seems like there's more commercial than program. Yes. Well, it's, it's not, but it's, but it's feeling that way. It feels that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I think the media needs outrage. Look, if we said the corner grocery that you stop at, you know, Oh, I need something on the way home. That guy defended himself. There's a little pat on the back. Everybody goes, yay. That news story never leaves town. If, if a crazy kid wants to become a celebrity, murders four of his classmates, he gets a multi-million dollar media campaign provided by the, the mainstream media. And that also fuels the next murderer out there who doesn't want to be forgotten. The murderer who would rather be dead than ignored. We've got a media problem, not a firearms problem. Yeah. Well, I think it's not just the media, you know, as in legacy media, TV, newspapers, and so on. They're part of the problem. But honestly, I blame a lot of this on social media because uh, this sort of ties into a theory I have. And, yeah. and, and my theory is the, uh, the village idiot theory. You know, <laughs> when, we, when we were all growing up, uh, Rob, I mean, and we're, you know, approximately the same age, you know, this was a time when most of us got our news from maybe a a weekly newspaper. It might have been the Sunday, the big Sunday paper, maybe a small daily paper. Maybe it was a half an hour TV show, you know, reporting news around dinnertime, something like that. But the rest of the time, we weren't consuming news. You know, today, it's, it's 24 hours a day, right? So when we were growing up, you know, there was always that village idiot. Somebody causing trouble, somebody spinning everybody up, somebody uh, j- just, you know, making our lives just miserable. But that was all we had to deal with. Today, with social media, we have a, a total democratization of the creation and consumption of news. So everybody is connected. That means every idiot has access to every village and all of us <laughs> deal with all the idiots all the time and it skews our view of society. That's why we, I think, why we feel more polarized. It's why we think that there are, you know, 20,000 mass murders a year and people are dropping dead left and right, you know, everywhere because social media distorts reality. You, amen. Amen. Let's let's describe the scale of how right you are. 
half of our counties won't have a single murder. Not with a knife, a rope, a car, a gun. Not one of any kind. 2% of our counties will provide over half of our nation's murders. Even within those counties, it's like 10% of the zip code are responsible for the murders. The good news from the point of view of being able to correct it, stop it, treat it, is that violence is localized. The bad news is we have the world in our pocket, as you said, and sensationalism sells, and we invite our failed city's violence into our uh, at our dinner table every night. That's a mistake, and we lose proportion. You're right. Yeah, and I, and I think you're quoting uh, John perhaps Lott. John Lott, you know, the, the Crime Prevention Research Center, and he did a study. In fact, he, he published a new study at the beginning of this year. I think it was in January and showed, and you were quoting some of these stats, something like 73% of all murders occur in just 5% of the counties in the United States. Yep. And even within those counties, the murders are heavily concentrated. He did an, um, a series once where he took the murders in particular cities, like Chicago, for example. And basically, he did it digitally, but just visualize a map of Chicago and you take a pen and you stick it in the map everywhere there's a murder over the course of an entire year, they, they were not random. Right. They were very, very heavily centralized around certain streets, certain neighborhoods, very concentrated. In fact, you look at it and your impression is, well, if I stay out of those two or three bad neighborhoods, Chicago actually looks pretty safe. Actually looks pretty safe. Well, isn't this true in Columbus, Ohio as well? I believe the, was it the Columbus PD or was it a research organization who said, where's crime happening? And I think the cops said, it was a couple hundred bad guys are causing all the mayhem. And that, let's just say there are some politicians that didn't want to hear that. They need to pretend that it's everybody's problem rather than concentrated. Yeah, that, then that happened. The study came out, I believe it was in 2021. The, the city of Columbus commissioned the study. So this was an outside group, came in. The city was freaking out because there was this huge spike in crime in 2020, which sure. didn't really perplex a lot of us because it was like, well, everybody's out of work and all the people who would commit crime are in the streets with nothing to do. So, of course, you had a spike in crime. But they commissioned this study, and when it came out, what it showed was about half of the murders in 2020 in Columbus, Ohio, involved 480 individuals involved with 17 gangs. So they, they knew where the spike was. They knew who was committing the murders, where they lived, uh, you know, uh, many of them by name. But you don't hear them talking a lot about that study now. They, they have been trying to pass laws and, and which we're fighting them on, on, you know, safe storage or they have a, a magazine ban, you know, magazines with 30 or more rounds, which is going to stop how many of these murders happening in the street? Approximately zero. Yeah. Now, what? Here, here's why I think gun control issues are fundamentally political. We almost eliminated unemployment in our country uh, four years ago. 
Most importantly, we almost eliminated unemployment in our inner cities four years ago. The last election fixed that. Now we have unemployment up to frightening levels and crime rose with it. Is that a gun problem? Is that a political problem? Um, it's above my pay grade to solve it, but I just want people to stay safe until we do. Yeah, and, and then the other thing, um, and, and we're seeing this a lot in, in recent years, this focus on ARs. And, you know, ARs as if, you know, this is, this is the preferred gun of criminals and, you know, it's the bane of society. But we know that handguns are used in most violent crime. If you look in, on any given year at the FBI Uniform Crime Report, and there's a little variation, but very little, around 2% of murders involve a rifle of any kind. Not, right. not 2% involving ARs, but I mean any rifle at all, about 2% of murders involve a rifle. Around 45% involve a handgun. And how long has it been since we've seen anyone trying to ban handguns, right? Knives, about 10%. So in other words, five times more people are killed with knives right. than these ARs. Or, interestingly, hands, fists, and, right, feet, and feet, around <laughs> four, around 4%. In other words, just getting your butt kicked causes more deaths than ARs, just beating somebody, kicking somebody. And yet, there's a focus on AR. Now, we've been talking about, you know, all of these lies, and really, it's, a, it's political, it's propaganda. Why do they focus? You, it, you just touched right on it. The AR is a black, scary rifle. It's easy for me to demonize it. I can get great press coverage. See, I'm trying to help vote for me. Does it work? And you and I, because you and I live with these numbers, isn't it about 17% of the firearms owned across the country are AR or similar pattern, AR, AK, modern, modern semi-automatic rifles? We defend ourselves with those a lot, not on the street, but at home. So ARs save far more lives than they take, even if, I'll concede, crazy mass murderers who want to get a name for themselves, they know if they use an AR, they get more publicity. And this goes back to my point about the gun control crowd isn't really concerned about crime. That's a lie. They're not really concerned about how to reduce violent crime. Otherwise, why would they be focused on a tool that is used less than virtually anything else right. to commit right. commit crime. Why? Because it polls well, because people are there confused about it, because they can get some laws passed. This shows the lie of gun control. They just don't want guns. It's it's let, let, it's part of the, the culture war or it's just part of the hatred for people who are able to be independent. It has nothing to do with crime. And that's the really frustrating part because honestly Rob, you and I, if we were going to sit down and discuss this with politicians, we'd actually be talking about crime. We're concerned about that. We don't want crime. Right. But I'm going to, do you remember, uh, you've been in industry and worked with it for marketing. You want to get to the reason behind the reason behind the reason. And I'm going to tease you a little bit here. The reason they talk about ARs is that you don't have 10 times more listeners. If we did, 
they wouldn't be talking about that. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's, it's, it's propaganda. And yes. they're, they're looking at people as the ignorant masses yeah. And because people people buy it, you know, it's it's the reason that a lot of, frankly, and I'm not in marketing anymore, but it's the reason that a lot of advertising and marketing works because people don't know better. And a lot that of is, marketing is based on lies. Okay, so here's what we want to do. The reason armed citizens stop mass murders, and they often do it the best way possible. Mass murderers won't go where they know people might be armed. By the way, just to, to describe the magnitude of that, of that virtue, between 1 in 12 and 1 in 13 adults are carrying in public now. Walk into the store, divide, divide by a dozen. A mass murderer has to worry about getting shot. Okay, that describes the size of the virtue that's out there. If, if all the gun owners we knew when someone says, oh, those bad ARs, blah, blah, everybody has the world's information in their cell phone. Just say, you know, I don't think you have all the facts. If the facts are right in your phone. You can go look them up. I can tell you where I look. Try, try uh, gun info. See what you find. We'll talk about it again after you've had a chance to look. Well, Rob, you know, a lot of this is really frustrating, but I'm glad we have people out there like you writing about this and dispelling some of the lies around gun control, where can people read your articles? My articles are at slowfacts.wordpress.com. I put out the Self-Defense Gun Stories podcast once a week, try and keep that around 20 minutes. I'm part of a larger cast. We can't be quiet. That's um, the Polite Society podcast sponsored by the Second Amendment Foundation. My writing is often carried at OpsLens, and I write the Armed Citizens column at Ammo Land. You're busy, that's for sure. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Rob, and keep Pleasure up the good work. You. Thanks, Dean. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at buckeyefirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to joinbfa.org. Use the discount code PODCAST to get $10 off your membership. That's joinbfa.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.